Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. is, uh, I'm so humble. And as soon as you say, I'm so humble, guess what? You're really not. <laughs> if you have a bulletin, it might be blue. I, I saw some blue bulletins. It might be green. If you have a blue bulletin, you are of the minority. It means that you are incredibly humble. All right? Anybody in here have a blue bulletin? Madeline, you have a blue bulletin? Yes, you do. All right, very good. So in the bulletin, there's an opportunity for you to take some notes if you so choose. Jesus, in our passage today, is in his teaching mode. His main goal before he goes to the cross is to ready his disciples with the tools to take the gospel to the world. In our text today, we have the privilege of listening in on one of his lessons that he might title... Learning to be humble. The problem is, like I said in the title, just when you think you got it, you lost it. I am so humble. As soon as you say that, well, you're probably not. But I want to read our text and then we'll get into our passage here. We're going to pick up a little bit where Lou left off last week. And by the way, thanks Lou for sharing a difficult passage there. But you talked about Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And that was helpful. Thank you. Mark chapter 9 and verse 30. And we'll read through verse 41. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want to know, want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. So really important there. He's, he's in his teaching mode. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. This is kind of their home village here where uh, some of the disciples are from. And when he was in the house, and a lot of people think this is Peter's house that he is in. He asked them, and he already knows, but he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? So they're walking, and he must have heard, and probably because he knows the hearts of mankind, he knew what they were arguing about. But they kept quiet, it says, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, so Jesus is taking his teaching mode of a rabbi. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Now, because of that lesson, it looks like John might be feeling a little guilty here. He says, teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. 
Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. So that is the reading of God's word. And we have the master teacher at work. Jesus has spent the last two and a half years with his disciples uh, teaching the crowds mostly and performing all kinds of various miracles. And right now where we are in Mark, even though we're about in the middle, we're two and a half years into his three-year ministry. And so this last half year before the cross, Jesus spends some quality time teaching his disciples, like I said, everything they need to know to bring his message to the world. And a message that they really need to hear, a lesson they really need to hear is one on humility. Now, I just went uh, to the dictionary, basic definition of humility, putting others' needs before your own. If you're a humble person, you basically put others' needs before your own, thinking of others before yourself. And it also can mean, and this is the part that maybe we struggle a little bit with, it can also mean acknowledging that you are not always right. How many of you like to be right? I like to be right. I like to be right. But if you are a humble person, you are putting others' needs before your own, you're thinking of others before yourself, and you can acknowledge that you are not always right. Well, humility is foreign to our DNA. We live in a very me-first-centered world. One of the first words a child will learn is mine, mine, mine. If I wrote a book entitled, Being Last is Cool, how many would buy it? (laughs) Vicki, you buy it? Maybe. All right, thank you. Um... Probably nobody would buy it. A a book entitled Being Last is Cool. But learning humility is essential if you want to be like Jesus. It's really a freshman 101 kind of class. I want you to take your Bible and, and turn to Isaiah chapter 66. One of the major prophets, Isaiah, after Psalms, and in the major prophet section... The last chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 66, and verses 1 and 2. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord. Alright, so the Lord is saying, I'm number one. But then he says, this is what I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's what the Lord requires 
And so Jesus, the master teacher, shows the disciples what humility looks like. And this is a good way of teaching. He's teaching and he's showing. And he's teaching and he's showing. And that's what's happening in our text today. So he shows them. And as we read in the very beginning there, he shows them with a cross. He shows them with a cross. And he says, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. Now, he doesn't say cross here, but we know that that's how Jesus dies. He dies on a cross. Jesus is basically explaining to the disciples here why he came to earth in the first place. Jesus humbly came as a baby to die a horrible death on a cross. That's the gospel message. The manger becomes a cross. And Paul understood this. If you take your Bible and turn to Philippians, Paul understood this. He's writing to the church in Philippi, and uh, it's a really positive letter. And so this is what Paul says in uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verses 3 through 8. And so uh, Paul says to the church here, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And so this is the humble attitude of the cross, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. I mean, he was God. He was Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Jesus will soon show in a, in a half year or so the extent of his love and humility on that cross. And so he goes on and he teaches them. So he shows them with a cross and then he goes on and he teaches them. And we look at verse 33 through 35. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, what, are, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Now, unfortunately, the disciples and all the Jews really had terrible examples of humility. Terrible examples of humility. If you wanted to learn humility... If you're sitting there thinking, I'd like to learn humility, the person you would not go to would be Muhammad Ali. All right? you, you don't go to Muhammad Ali to learn humility because what does he say? I am the greatest. I am the greatest. Remember that? You don't go to Muhammad Ali to learn about humility. The Jewish leaders were not good examples of humility. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Kind of thumbing through your word today. That's good. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2. Jesus is teaching here uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets 
to be honored by men. And then look over at verse 5. And when you pray, and he's talking about the Pharisees, what he's talking about here. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. And then look down at verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. And then if you looked at Matthew chapter 23 and verses 5 through 7, this is what it says about, again, the Pharisees. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries. These are things that they would wear on their head and on their uh, forearms. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. So that's the, that, that's the group of people that our disciples are looking to to learn humility. And so no wonder if that's what they've been learning from the Pharisees, no wonder they're having trouble with humility. They believe that they're special. They believe that they're chosen by the Messiah. They believe that they are privy to his teaching and his time. So, of course, they argue about who is the greatest. I think what they probably were thinking was, okay, Jesus, we want you to tell us who's number one. And Peter's probably thinking, I'm number one. And John's probably thinking, I better be number two. And Bartholomew and Thaddeus, they're like, ah, we're probably tied for 11. You know, they're, 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 just, they're just bummed, you know. And, and so they keep quiet. So when Jesus asked them, this is just kind of funny. When Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? They kept quiet because on the way, well, they kept quiet. They were embarrassed. You know, in our Revelation study on Wednesday nights, we've been looking at the seven churches. And every one of the seven churches, it says, I know your deeds. Jesus is saying that to the church. I know your deeds. You know what this past week Jesus is saying to you? I know your deeds. And some of you are saying, yes, I had a really good week. Thank you, Lord. Some of you are saying, oh, no. We talked about this last Wednesday night. It's like getting a phone call in the middle of the night and you hear a voice on the other end say, I know what you did yesterday. And some of you are thinking, all right, cool. He knows. He saw. And some of you are thinking, oh, no. Well, here's the deal. The Lord knows. The Lord knows your deeds. The Lord knows your thoughts. And what I think is interesting here, Jesus had just spoken to them about his humiliation. And they were arguing about their own exaltation. And one thing that we can notice about their argument is the next point in your lesson. Pride destroys unity. Pride destroys unity. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And the church, in, if you want to read a church that's really having a hard time, read about the church in Corinth. They're having a hard time. And Paul 
talks about this idea of pride destroying unity in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says this, verse 1, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Some of them were saying, hey, Paul's the guy that led me to the Lord. And some are saying, well, Apollos led me. And some are saying, well, Paul's better than Apollos. And some are saying, no, Apollos is better than Paul. And so there's just, there's just a lack of unity in the church. And what's really unfortunate, I think, about our text here is if you look over in Mark chapter 10, they do it again. They struggle again. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do something for us. What do you want me to do for you, he says. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other your left hand. And then if you look down at verse 41, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And then Jesus had to pull them together and give them another lesson on humility. Jesus talks about his death and they talk about their exaltation. And really unity is critical to the church. Unity is critical to the body of Christ. And a lot of people look at John chapter 17 as the Lord's Prayer. You know, Matthew chapter 6 uh, is called the Lord's Prayer. But really, that's a prayer that he's teaching the disciples. John chapter 17 is really what you might call the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to look at a few verses here. And this is Jesus praying before he goes to the cross. And in my Bible, John chapter 17, verse 20, it says right above that in bold letters, Jesus prays for all believers. And so this is what he prays. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved and love them even as you have loved me. Unity in the church is so important to the body of Christ. It's so important to the testimony of the gospel. And unity is so important that in churches I've been a part of, the deacons have been asked to perform what's called church discipline on members who destroy church unity with gossip and with backbiting, causing trouble, always making little arguments and unbiblical behavior. And so the churches, some that I have been a part of, have had to have some church discipline because unity is so important. 
Unity in the church is that important. So Jesus shows them, he goes on, and he shows them about what, how pride can get in the way, and he shows them with a child. So it says in our text, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. And he took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but also the one who sent me. So they're in a house. It's maybe Peter's house, and there must have been a few others there, maybe some families, and Jesus shows them by taking a child, maybe six, five, six, seven years old, a child who has no power, a child who has no achievement, a child who has no greatness, nothing to offer, weak, dependent, ignored, vulnerable, and says that we are to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ like Jesus does with this little child, and like Jesus does with us. Because in a way, we are like these little chi- uh, this little child. God accepted us when we were without power, without achievement, without greatness, nothing to offer, weak, dependent, ignored, and vulnerable. God chose us and accepted us. And he's saying to his disciples, you need to accept each other just like I'm accepting this child. If power and position drive us, then we demand being first. And Jesus says, hey, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last, the servant of all. We are childlike and God accepted us while we were Still sinners, Christ died for us. But when we welcome the least of these, when we treat each other with dignity, respect, humility, it says here that we are not only welcoming Jesus, but we are welcoming God himself. So the disciples were waiting to have Jesus rank their importance. You're number one. And you're number two, and you're tied for 11th. Uh, And then he has to do it again. And then in John chapter 13, he has to do it again. Where is he now? In John 13, he's in the upper room. And what is he doing? He's teaching them humility by doing what? Washing their feet. And then we get to the last point here. Jesus teaches them again. And it says here, teacher, so, you know, they've heard this, and I think John must, John, John is the sensitive one. Uh, and he says, teacher, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. So possibly Jesus uses John's guilt about how they treated this man to teach them another lesson on humility. We don't know a whole lot about the men But the disciples were like, hey, this guy is not one of us. We're in competition here with each other. So we can't have this outsider succeeding. So we just got to tell him to stop. Forget it. Just stop. Just stop. (laughs) The only problem is this guy seems to be doing things the right way. And 
teaches them that, again, pride creates division. Pride creates division. Humility unites. Pride creates division. And it's really true. They were saying, hey, that guy's not one of us. One of the things I'll never forget, I was the youth pastor at the First Baptist Church of San Antonio Heights in Upland, California. You'd go straight up this beautiful road called Euclid, and you'd get up into the lower mountains right below Mount Baldy. So it was a very, very wealthy area. Humongous, beautiful houses. And the church was a wealthy, wealthy church. And I was the youth pastor. And I remember hearing some guys talking outside. And, and we had a beautiful view of the valley. You could just see all the lights of all the big, beautiful houses all the way down into Pomona. If you know that area, you probably don't. But it's a, it was a beautiful area. I can remember guys that were deacons at our church. And I remember them saying this. We don't want all those people way down there coming up here. Whoo! And I'll tell you what, that was the beginning of the end of that church. Church is still around, but it's not what it used to be by any, 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 any means. Humility unites, pride creates division and envy. We don't want those people to come up here. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. It's the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. That's what the Bible says love is. It's patient, it's kind, it's not proud, it does not boast, it is not envious. And we are called to this kind of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Pride creates envy, humility creates service, and that's what Jesus says here at the end. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Service, humility, is rewarded. The disciples want adoration. And Jesus is trying to teach them, and it's a, it's a long battle, and maybe Jesus is trying to teach us humility and servanthood. So, maybe you do, maybe you do want to buy my book, being last is cool, all right? Being last is cool. I want to end by reading uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 again. Because I think it really summarizes what uh, I hope the Lord is trying to get through to each of us. And this is what uh, Paul says to the church in Philippi. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility 
Consider others better than yourselves. And then here you go, the basic definition. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The end of your bulletin, it says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you need to learn to be the servant of all. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. It really is applicable. We live in a pretty selfish world, and sometimes we get selfish ourselves. But Lord, you told the disciples that uh, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you need to be last. You need to be a servant of all. And then, Lord, you showed that one last time for them in the upper room when you washed their feet. What an act of servanthood. They should have all been washing your feet, and you chose to wash theirs. And then you went to a cross. And that's what the gospel is all about. You, even though you were rich, became poor. So that we can become rich. That's just so backwards, but it's really what the gospel is all about. So Lord, help us to let that sink in. Help us to let that sink in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.